Mac Jones is ripped. Matt Patricia is calling plays. The Celtics are title favorites. And The Ringer has a new Boston show. I'm Brian Barrett, host of Off the Pike, the show covering all things Boston sports. I'll have shows multiple times a week covering your favorite teams and with your favorite Ringer and local guests. Plus, maybe Bill will stop by to rant about the Sox. Follow Off the Pike with me, Brian Barrett, now on Spotify. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another special Monday night edition of The Answer. We are coming off two pretty great games here. Uh, We're going to start with, uh, we're going to talk about the Sixers a little bit later. The Sixers pulled off an incredible win against uh, the Celtics, really against all odds, and won game one. And uh, the Nuggets, the Nuggets have a 2-0 lead against the Suns. The Suns are in big trouble. The Suns tried to the Suns tried to suppress Nikola Jokic in the best way that you could ever suppress Nikola Jokic, which is by going single coverage on him. Uh, worked out a little bit earlier earlier in the game, but he finished with an MVP esque 39 points, 16 rebounds, five assists. So he did he did get his guys involved a little bit. What did you uh what did you think of this game, Michael? I'm I'm waiting for Jokic to get exposed in the playoffs. Everyone mm. told me it was going to happen all season long. I, I get 39 points, 16 rebounds, uh, 42 minutes. This was the type of game that, I mean, the Nuggets, everyone assumed that the Nuggets could not win a game like this, where they hold the Phoenix Suns to 87 points. And KD missed a lot of shots that KD normally hits. Um, Chris Paul got hurt. We're definitely going to talk about that, I assume, in this conversation. Um, and yeah, it's it was a masterful performance by Nikola Jokic. The single coverage. I mean, it's funny when you look at Phoenix's rotation right now, which is just really gruesome stuff, but they're playing three centers, Aiton, Biombo. And Jack Landell and like they need all of them to stop this dude. And I, I don't know. He's in my opinion, the MVP, in my opinion, the best player alive. And tonight he showed it. I'm going to let you get on the soapbox today just because the second half of the podcast is going to be really difficult for you. <laughs> and just, and, and just, you know, I don't, I, I didn't vote for him for MVP, but uh, I think, I think this, performance definitely highlights why you know there was no wrong choice for the MVP this year and it also it completely cuts into the argument against Jokic for MVP which is that like he can't create on his own in the same way that a guy like Joel Embiid can where you see in a game like this where if you give him the same type of coverage not to say that you know Joel ever gets single coverage these days but if you give him 30 shots He'll give you 39 points on a different night. He might give you a little bit more even, but yeah, he was just, he was incredible tonight. There was, there were very few answers to what he was doing. Uh, Aiton started off the game with a pretty good stop on him. He kind of like, he, he got him going to his left and got him under the rim at a really bad angle. And he kind of just ended up shooting it under the rim. And it was like, it was one of those shots that wasn't recorded as a block, but it might as well be. And I was like, oh, okay, this this might work. And it kind of gave me flashbacks a little bit to uh, the Suns Nuggets series in 2021, the COVID year. But that year, of course, there was no Michael Porter Jr. There was no Jamal Murray, who also had a really, really tough game, 315. Uh, you know, he's just 
Jamal's kind of like that. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. he's going to just go off and sometimes he's going to have these really streaky nights. Uh, Michael Malone said going into the fourth quarter that he was just putting way too much pressure on himself that he just, you know, kind of needs to get out of his head. Remember, there's so many other ways that he can contribute. Uh, but that is, that is like the Jamal Murray story. We've watched this for a really long time. That's just kind of the guy that he is. Uh, it's a little bit electric. Honestly, I find it fun. Um, I, I imagine it's not that fun for him, but it's just one of those things where you never really know which version of him that you're going to get. But he is kind of like, he has turned being like a microwave scorer into an all-star into an all-star and sometimes all NBA level art. And then you sometimes get a night like this too. But he was also, man, like the Suns, the Suns have really struggled with getting production out of like pretty much anybody when you consider the fact that you know, their, their bench is what it is. And also that, you know, they're not getting it. They're not getting what they would expect out of Kevin Durant. Um, Chris Paul, Jamal was doing a great job on him. And I feel like Devin Booker is pretty much the only guy from the, for the Suns throughout the entire playoffs, but especially these, these two games against uh, Denver where you're like, okay, you actually kind of consistently know what, what um, you're going to get from him. Yeah. Book was phenomenal tonight. I, I'm just looking at like the minute totals for him, like 45 minutes again. Kevin Durant, 45 minutes again. Um, they combined for, I'm doing math on the fly here, so bear with me, 56 shots, I think. Did I do that correctly? Like they are the whole team. And I think they made a concerted effort tonight to uh, balance out the math problem that they had in game one with not taking basically any threes. Uh, KD and Book alone combined to take 20 threes. And the role players just missed everything. I thought that, like, just like, the reason I picked the Nuggets in the series in six was, I think it's a two, three, three and a half player team right now. You need seven guys you can rely upon. And I... I like my two. I like KD. I like book. And then Aiton sometimes, but not a very consistent big man. And CP, uh, you know, part of the risk in making the KD trade is that one of these dudes is going to get hurt. And CP pulls his groin, does not return. I think that that could be a massive injury for the team. We don't know right now as we're recording how long he's going to be out, but that's like the big or that's like the one B storyline I think coming out of this game is his injury beyond just how well um, the Nuggets played uh, defensively. Um, but what do you make of the Suns without Chris Paul? If Chris Paul can't go, if, if Chris Paul is impaired, because you look at this roster, the campaign came back from his whatever injury he had that kept him out for the past few weeks and was really rough, like extremely tough minutes from campaign. He just did not look ready to play. Uh, You know, Monty's throwing Ish Wainwright out there. He's leaning on Damian Lee, who was on the Warriors last season, the title team, and just like didn't play. He wasn't in their rotation. So, it's just such a thin team, but what do you, what do you make of the, the Chris Paul injury? Like how catastrophic is this? Yeah, this is kind of the structural issue with putting together a super team, especially a super team that leans heavily towards perimeter oriented stars. You know, I think super teams of the past, you had the Miami Heat with LeBron and Chris Paul um, and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. And those guys could do other things and actually specialize at doing other things. Like Chris Bosch specialized at being a rebounder. He turned himself into an incredible shot blocker and defensive linchpin. LeBron can obviously do everything. We know that. But when you look at the Suns, you have basically two years of Kevin Durant being one of the best help defenders in the NBA pre-Achilles when he was with the Warriors. And aside from that, you kind of have a team of guys that like to play on the ball. They like to shoot a specific set of shots, which is why, as you alluded to the math problem of like the amount of mid-range shots that they take, they tried to get away from that. But even the way that they got away from that was by calling their own number. Uh, Durant went two from 12 from the three-point line. And he in particular now historically has struggled against physicality. And we're just kind of seeing that happen again, where it feels like if you play him rough and by the way, just like the work that Aaron Gordon has, has done in two games on Kevin Durant, like it's just been absolutely incredible. Uh, not only has he basically kept him out of his spots, he's got him off balance, like on 
every jumper I feel like I've seen. It's been like, it's been, you know, it's the Kevin Durant shots that you like to see, but he just doesn't look comfortable at all. And it actually gives me a little bit of a flashback to the first round against the Celtics. Um, and yeah, so like we, we now have, we now have like the three superstars being down to three and a team that because you have focused all these assets or traded all these assets for Kevin Durant just doesn't have a lot else going on. So unless you get incredible, like God level, every night contributions from the superstars, it just doesn't really work. Those guys have to make really difficult shots. Those guys have to get to the free throw line. Uh, This team attempted five free throws tonight. Credit to the Nuggets and how they defended. I think one of the big, like, I don't know if it was, I'll call it a mistake, but one of the big shortcomings for the Clippers in that series was how often they were committing fouls and just putting book KD that offense in the bonus repeatedly. Um, Phoenix was a very low free throw rate team throughout the regular season and has been throughout the Chris Paul era. And I think they were second or third in free throw rate coming into this series and five free throws is just not, going to cut it in the NBA playoffs, uh, especially when you shoot six for 31 from behind the three-point line. So I really agree with what you're saying about Aaron Gordon's defense. And honestly, shout out to Christian Brown. Mm -hmm. I I always want to call him Christian Braun. Christian Brown, uh, who I hope makes an all-rookie team, just an absolute stud. And the minutes that he gave Michael Malone guarding KD to afford the rotation where Aaron Gordon is basically the backup five. And so he needs to come out in the first quarter at some point when Katie's still on the court so he can start the second quarter. Um, Christian Brown was just great. Uh, as good as a rookie could be on Kevin Durant. And again, like Kevin Durant missed shots that he normally would make, but they're tough shots. They're contested. He didn't foul. That's key. So tip your cap to him. Uh, I feel like, uh, do we ask the question, you know, the series is, what's the slogan? I'm road team. Until wins the team on the wins on the road. Thank yeah. you, sir. I appreciate you. You're a great team. Sometimes the series never starts. It's true. It's true. Um, is this, what are, you, what are you thinking about Phoenix's ability to come back in this series? Obviously not having home court and down 0-2 right now, going back to Phoenix. I mean, it, a lot of it hinges on Chris Paul. I think I think that Monty might be able to find a few things in a rotation. I think I think Landale's uh, I laugh even saying this, but I think Landale played a sneaky good five minutes. Uh, I think you could give him a little bit more time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he played. He had he had some great offensive rebounds early in that fourth quarter, but he that did. fourth quarter was an absolute disaster for the Suns, and they would have gotten some second chance points off of it, but they missed like their first nine shots. Going and then and then you had the Chris Paul injury, and I think. That was actually, that was like the point where the game turned because it looked for a moment like the Suns game plan might work. You know, like I think they tried to get the Nuggets to play on offense a a Suns-esque game. Like all for the last pretty, like the last, day or two, we've all been talking about the math problem, right? We've all been talking about how these guys take way too many mid-range jumpers. It just doesn't, it's not viable in this league. And they went single coverage on Nikola and luckily Jamal just didn't have a very good game, uh, but they got the Nuggets out of their flow. They got them, especially in the first quarter, they got them to basically just not play in the way that they like to play. I think Jokic had like 16 of their 19 points in the first quarter or something, you know, mm-hmm. astronomical like that. And you know, that's not like the way that he loves to play either. The Nuggets end up shooting 25% from, from three and they kind of get bogged down a little bit. Uh, but, you know, they just, they just completely fell apart in the fourth quarter. So going into game three, Chris Paul is obviously a huge question, but I almost wonder, do you run back the Jokic plan? Because it's much more viable than anything else. I don't think, I think that's the way that you guard Jokic, but I think the, the, the issue is that he's still Jokic. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like what it was with Embiid in the first round with the Nets, where there wasn't really a viable solution to guarding him. You had to double team him. But I think in this case, there's no viable solution. You have to play single coverage so that the other guys don't get off. I don't know if it'll necessarily work, but I'm also not completely ready to count them out yet. I think the, I think also the role players were specifically bad. I wonder how campaign will be with another game under his belt. I wonder if Tory Craig will hit a, hit some shots when he's back at home. Uh, just, just things like that. And, you know, I don't like, I very, I'm honestly just very, very confused by the Damian Lee, uh, 26 minutes, especially on a night that he went over five. I just hope that that 
from a rotational perspective, doesn't repeat itself. Uh, I do have the Nuggets winning this series, obviously, but I don't think that it's necessarily over yet. I think Phoenix could tie it up. It wouldn't stun me. I'm just looking at their roster right now, though, and I know we're harping on this, but it is a huge deal. It's kind of their identity is just being so top-heavy. Terrence Ross doesn't play. Landry Shamit, DNP. TJ Warren, DNP. Um, they trade Darius Saric at the trade deadline for tax reasons for uh, Darius Baisley, DNP. Uh, Tory Craig gives you absolutely nothing. Josh Okogie gives you absolutely nothing on the offensive end. I mean, Josh Okogie, like, he did a good job of Murray, but like catches it in the short roll in the fourth quarter, um, has a four on three advantage or a three on two advantage. And on one play, he found Aiden. Mm -hmm. On another one, he looked at, I forget who was the low man on the play, looked very confused, passed it back out to Katie. Katie missed a contested three. So these guys are just so passive and, it's just not a raw. I mean, you talked about the heat earlier. It's like the heat had superstars that were compatible. Absolutely. They also had Shane Battier. They had uh, Mike Miller. They had, I mean, get put Mario Chalmers on the Phoenix Suns. Like they, they don't have a Mario Chalmers. You know what I mean? Like, so really a tough roster going to need insane, great shot making to get back in this. It's totally possible. These are really, I mean, two of the top 10 players in the NBA are on their roster. I just think if CP is hurt, if CP can't go, it's kind of devastating for how they want to play. And to answer your question real quick, going back to the Nuggets and the defensive strategy with Jokic, I don't necessarily think like it worked tonight by the numbers, you could say for sure. Um, Guarding Jokic single coverage. I I don't know if I don't think there is a good defensive game plan for him. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can stop him on offense, period. He'll score single coverage. He'll find guys if you double. I think the way you beat him is with your offense and you force him to defend pick and rolls. I thought he was really good executing their game plan up to the level, soft doubles, drop in the paint. He mm-hmm. was switching it up and he was engaged. He like throughout the regular season, he just like wasn't engaged. But against a team like this that doesn't go to the rim, which is his weak, that's the weakest part of his game by far is rim protection. He was just letting guys Ole past him. Um, this team doesn't attack the basket. And I think that if you're just going to shoot jump shots, it kind of plays into his hands and plays into Denver's hands. And I think they're in a really good position to win this series. Yeah, it makes it makes things a lot a lot easier on Jokic. I think pretty much the only guy for the Suns that was getting anything going towards a rim was Booker. Um, you know, KD kept kind of going to to his jumper and he was actually probably the only guy that I thought had any level of real luck on Jokic single coverage, but you just can't have him. You, he can't afford to pick up fouls like that, especially if Chris is going to be out. So that's not really a viable strategy either. And I also imagine that, you know, give Jokic a few more reps. He would, he would suss out the Kevin Durant matchup too. He's just, he's just unsolvable. <laughs> the NBA playoffs are in full swing and you can turn crossovers into cash with FanDuel. Just visit fanduel.com slash ringer NBA right now and place a $5 bet and you'll get an instant 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. Now, I think the general public, and it seems like probably Vegas too, is a little bit late on the fact that the Lakers are a legit team. The Warriors are favored to win game one, coming off of two days of rest by five, while the Lakers, they just put down a dominant victory against the Grizzlies. So I would take the Lakers and I'm going to throw in a parlay for Austin Reeves, our future Lord and Savior, to, uh, to put up over 15 points in this game. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Just go to fanduel.com slash ringerNBA and sign up to get $150 in bonus bets when you bet your first five bucks. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call at 1-800-GAMBLER. Hope is here. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Canada. 
Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. By the way, while we're here, um, I just I just need to issue a formal apology. So I'm just going to take... To me? To oh, me? No. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me laugh. No, I'm kidding. Um, so I I picked the Nuggets to lose in the first round. Um, Devastating. I don't know what the fuck I was talking you're about. Than that. Honestly, you're, yeah, you're I, I, than that. just really, really bad analysis. Really bad analysis on my part. Uh, I hyper fixated on a weakness, which was the Jokic rim protection thing that they've actually done a pretty good job of mitigating throughout the playoffs. And my whole thing was that like, what are they going to do with a team that just drives to the rim? Um, mm-hmm. Whatever. It was a really bad take. I just look, I want to apologize to everyone involved. I was in Denver last week. It's a lovely city. The people there are incredibly happy all the time. I think it's because there's just so much sunshine. Unless you say the nuggets are going to lose in the first round. They're not very happy if you do that, but um, justifiably <laughs> so. And like, you know, just, just everyone. I want to apologize to Jokic. I want to apologize to his horses I don't want to apologize to to Calvin Booth, by the way, who signed like one of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, under the radar free agency signings that has been talked about a lot now is Bruce Brown, who was just available, who the Nets, by the way, I wrote about this in the preseason. Um, the Nets told Bruce Brown that they were going to resign him and then just didn't. And if you look at the pre-trade nets, which I know, unfortunately, you had to look at quite a bit. That was just one of the most disastrous <laughs> non-moves that you can make is not bringing back one of your best role players who, who like developed a lot under <laughs> under you. But he's obviously like just kind of playing the same spacing situation. It's been awesome for them. It's been awesome in this series, too. Like just he's picked up against everyone, you know, like it, Booker, Durant, and he's just like, he's a really good playmaker. I love him on the short roll. And, you know, also just like the KCP signing as well. So yeah, the offseason signings, I think, I think like for a really big chunk of this regular season, I was, my thoughts on the Nuggets were that, that they did the best that they could with their offseason signings and mitigated their weaknesses as best as possible, but I just didn't think it'd be good enough. But right now it's looking like it'll be good enough. And honestly, I love that because this is one of the most fun teams to watch in the NBA. Jokic is one of the most fun superstars. And the fact that these guys could actually be making like a a title run at this point is something that just, yeah, it's awesome. I'm really, I'm really happy to see it happen. So honestly, I want to apologize to myself for going for, for turning, turning on this team. And I'm, I'm flipping completely back on that side. I might even just like become a zealot, uh, to like overcorrect a little bit. So I, I know that you won't be the one to, uh, to help me kind of get on the right side of things or like, you know, backtrack. I think we'll both be on this train, but I think we'll have, we'll have fun. This is going to be a fun train. First of all, big of you to apologize. You're a wonderful person. <laughs> That's what I was looking um, for. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Uh, the, I mean, the Bruce Brown signing was amazing when it happened. He just fits this team so perfectly well with how they want to play with Jokic offensively and helps you out defensively. The KCP trade, getting him for, I forget everyone who was involved in that. Monte Morris, Will Barton, I believe, went to Washington. Uh, I mean, just uh, that's exactly what they needed if you watch the first round series that they lost against the Warriors, they just not had anyone who could cover those guards on the perimeter. KCP is one of the best. And tonight he hit, I think one of the, maybe the biggest shot of the game that pull up three mm-hmm. with like three minutes to go. He hit a lot of big shots tonight. Off a screen, huge, just a huge game from him and only took six shots, made five of them. Didn't miss from behind the three point line. 
Uh, yeah, Bruce Brown closed for the Nuggets tonight instead of Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr. was minus 12. Bruce Brown was plus 12. I just think they can give you a lot of different looks and they can play a lot of different ways with their roster. And it's the exact opposite of Phoenix. Phoenix is so thin. And we thought all year long that Denver was relatively thin compared to some other or the the prototypical title contender or actual champion. But when you look at the roster, they can do a lot of different things. And I think Michael Malone has coached his ass off, Mm -hmm. frankly, since the postseason started with his rotations and the way he decided to make Aaron Gordon the backup five, I thought was just like a masterstroke. And it's really paying off for them. They would have won this game, I think, by a lot more if Jamal Murray was not ice cold for basically the whole game. I mean, he went over nine from behind the three-point line. So... I think they're just a lot better mm-hmm. than the Phoenix Suns. And I'm not ready to call it yet because only 2-0. But I think, again, they're in the driver's seat right now to advance to the conference finals. They're in a good spot. They played eight guys tonight. And let me count this up real quick. The Suns played six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven guys tonight. And I think the eight guys... The three guys that the Nuggets brought off the bench, you would, I mean, I, th- I think Monty Williams would be dying to have either of them. Shout out Jeff Green, by the way. Just huge dunk. <laughs> amazing dunk. Again, legend. Yes, incredible dunk. Uh, shout out to the refs for letting, for letting Jeff Green play. Maybe that's something that we'll see. This was, <laughs> this was a loosely refereed game. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, five free throws is not, not a lot of free. I just can't get over that number. It's not. It's wild. It's not, you know, I, th- I think, I think that they let the guys play. They let the guys play tonight. I like that. It's playoff basketball. And I think it's just like, yeah, it's a physicality issue that the Suns, I don't know if they, I don't know if they have it to, to get over it. You know, I think like Aiton had a great first half and then he kind of faded down the stretch, which is kind of like, just like the Aiton thing at this point. So I don't really necessarily expect that to go away, but yeah, maybe he'll have a big game. There are ways, there are ways out of this for Phoenix, but right now Denver just seems so much more dominant. Like they, they, they've got this thing figured out. I think they've got, they just, they just have so many cylinders they can fire off on offense and not even all of them have to be firing. Can I ask you a, like a hot takey type of question? That's what got me into, into trouble in the first place, but sure. Do you think that the Phoenix Suns regret the KD trade? Ooh. See, I was kind of alluding to this earlier when, <laughs> when I brought up the trade. When you trade, I mean, look, the post-All-Star season that Mikhail Bridges had which actually started in the last like five or so games with Phoenix. It was starting to happen. Maybe that's what got the trade done, you know, and you don't have to include Aiden. So there, there could be something there. But yeah, I mean, I would love, I would just love to have like one of the best help defenders in the NBA right now. That would be great. I would love to just have a body. I would love to have two bodies. I would love to have wings that I can actually play. I would love if I if I have to have Chris Paul out right now to have the option to go with some sort of crazy like four wing variation that has Aiton in the middle and and Booker basically playing like your point guard. I think that gives you a lot more versatility and versatility isn't always the most important thing in the playoffs, but it matters a lot. And they, it's important. Yeah, and and they lost, they, they lost a lot of it. I don't know that that wins them the series though. I don't know what those guys are doing to mitigate the impact of Nikola Jokic. I think, yeah, sure. Mikhail probably causes a few more turnovers. Right. And I think you can rely on Cam Johnson, but those guys play the same way. Like you're not solving the math problem with Mikhail or Cam. Like those guys, man, Mikhail learned like basically from like the developmental tracks of Booker and and Chris Paul. Like he, his development has been imitating those guys. Like that team has played that way. I mean, that's why they lost to the Bucks. So yes, I think it's an interesting question. Um, I also think, man, like like Kevin Durant could go put 45 on on the on on the Nuggets' head on in Game Three, and we'd be like, oh, that was stupid. So I don't know. I'm. I'm slightly trolling okay. with that question. Uh, yeah, like you're giving up a lot of draft. We didn't even talk about the draft equity, of course. But the reason why you make that trade is because if they didn't and Chris Paul 
uh, pulled his groin and was out. Then it's Devin Booker getting double teamed and on every possession. And what are you doing? What's your offense? Uh, so, you know, we'll see. Like, I don't really want to second guess that trade. It's kind of is what it is. They gave up a lot, <laughs> a lot of really good players. Well, that, that was kind of the, always the thing with the, with, with any Kevin Durant trade though. Right. Like, I think that's why it of becomes course. a fair question. You have to give up so much to get him. Uh, it kind of took a lot of teams out of that bidding and, and the Suns did it. And I don't think, I mean, I don't know. It's a hard one to look back at and say they shouldn't have done. It's Kevin Durant at the end of the day. And I think it's also hard to make these deals in the middle of the season too. Like a, a, a deal for a big three that becomes like this huge sort of hyped up team makes a lot more sense in the off season when then you can just go get every single aging role player that can play a role and like that just wants to win a ring. But just yeah. like that's that may be an option for them in the off season that they just didn't have in like obviously at the trade deadline. They'll have to. Uh, I don't want to make this the obituary for the Phoenix Suns, but yeah, it's a major off season for them whenever their season mm-hmm. happens to end. And uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, just imperative on them to grab actual versatile players who can compete on the floor in a big playoff game who complement Booker and KD. And yeah, I don't know. They're in a really... They're in a pickle. They're in a bind right now, I think, as an organization, because uh, he's 34 years old. I, I, like The window here is not open forever. It just isn't. And CP is even older than that and gets hurt all the time. So it could be fascinating. They've got some cards to play, some players, some contracts to move. We'll see what happens. Uh, maybe they win this series. Maybe they go to the finals and whatever we can... Completely changed the narrative then, but uh, right now it's just looking like a very thin team. And James Jones would not have made the trade that was made if not for Matt Ishbia becoming the owner. That's been reported, and this is why. Our producer, Ben, shot me a note that I should also apologize to Jokic's brothers. Uh, incredible oversight. Thank you. I will apologize to his brother. I'll, I'll Brothers, I'll apologize to his horses. I'll apologize to the ice that Jamal Murray practiced on as a young kid in Canada. I'll apologize to Aaron Gordon's short-lived podcast. Uh, I think it was called The Quest for Enlightenment. Apologies all around. Apologies to, to Michael Porter Jr.'s YouTube search history. Like, to Michael Malone, uh, oh, the grumpiest Jesus. yet cuddliest head coach in the NBA. I listened to that podcast, the Aaron, Aaron Gordon's podcast. I listened to almost every episode, I think. I don't know how many there were. Um, I remember listening to a few. It was though, actually pretty good for research, not for pleasure. Oh, okay. Yeah. For re- what were you researching? Yeah. Mental health. Did a mental health story last oh, year. Okay. Good times. Mm. Yeah. I thought it was actually pretty good. Interviewed him for it. Yeah. It just kind of. Yeah. You know, it's hard to do. It's hard to do a podcast when you're in the NBA. I see a lot of podcasts these <laughs> days where, like, you know, somebody will have a podcast in their Instagram bio, and they'll have like three episodes. I feel like everyone's tried to start a podcast. It's new media. You know, what are you going to do? Taking over. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two for $5 chicken wraps from Arby's come in. 
available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's 2 for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Okay, so James Harden just had a legacy-defining, like, holy shit, shot-making <laughs> game. Like, 45 points yeah. on... Man, on, on the likes of Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Joel Embiid is out game one. The odds makers are basically just like, yeah, the Celtics have this in the bag. Celtics in five, like don't even bother with the Sixers. Um, they were not supposed to win this game at all. Like they probably shouldn't even have been in this game. There were times during this game where I was like, how the hell are they in this game? And the answer to that was always, always James Harden, who just put on a shooting masterclass that the Celtics just decided that they weren't going to have any answers for. They weren't going to come up with any answers. Tough. It was tough. Harden was amazing. He was vintage. Uh, I have some numbers here for you. Uh, James Harden's effective field goal percentage in this game was 68.3. That was 22.4% above his expected effective field goal percentage based on the shots he took and how closely they were consistent. Uh, contested and all that. Um, that is just like the, off the charts, insane shot making. Um, he had 61 pick and rolls, which was his fifth most in a game this season. He had the mid range cooking. He was hitting step backs. The step back midi was going. Uh, I thought that we were going to get to lead today's show with an appreciation of Grant Williams. He gets subbed into the game. Surprisingly, he's been out of Boston's rotation forever. And James Harden just immediately calls this man up for a screen, brings him to the mid-range, hits a step back over. And Joe Mazzula's like, yeah, you, you got to come out of the game. So Graham Williams did not get back in the basketball game after that, which was a shame. Um, Boston's defensive, they switched everything up. Like, they literally switched screens. They dropped a ton. He had pull-up threes over what I thought was lazy drop coverage. Um for most of the game, especially in the first half. Uh, he hunted Sam Hauser. He hunted uh, Grant on that play that I mentioned. He hunk, hunted Malcolm Brogdon. He cooked Jalen Brown multiple times, put everybody in a blender. Marcus Smart couldn't do anything with him. Derek White had a terrible game, period, and wasn't really stopping anybody. I, honestly, I didn't know he had this in him. Did you, did you, like, how shocked no, are you? No, I... I don't this think and, any like, of us walked this. into this game and we were like, oh, the, <laughs> <laughs> James Harden is going to have the game of his life and the 76ers coached by Doc Rivers are going to pull off this upset without Joel Embiid, who has, aside from being the best player on the team, always been the adult in the room and the adult on the court and the one guy who is like, pissed off when you don't get an <laughs> offensive rebound or when you miss a defensive rotation. Uh, uh -huh. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see this coming. I didn't see this coming. That's, that's why this is like, this is how you erase your pass. You have games like this that you have to win. And if the, if the Sixers go on and win this series, we are going to remember this James Harden performance. And it was really cool to watch. So the first against the Nets in the first round, I think like the one concern was just how James was playing underneath the three-point line. He was not getting to the rim. Yep. I think I think the Sixers one shot at the rim in the half. One shot at the rim in the half, by the way. I'm just going to repeat that. That was, they shot once. They got, they, they made one shot at the rim, the half. Okay, everyone's got that, right? Uh, was when he Was when he crossed up uh, Jalen Brown around the free throw line and and got all the way to the rim. And I think everything else for the Sixers was basically mid-range shots. Did not see that coming from a Daryl Morey team. They they Half of their shots this game came from mid-range. And a lot of that was James Harden. A lot of it was Tobias Harris too. But um, yeah, just this evolution in his game. If he can hit that shot, it just adds a different layer. And obviously he can hit that shot. But there was this one possession where... Malcolm Brogdon, who was the best James Harden defender, who should have been defending him from pretty much the first quarter on, you should have been like, you might as well just start, like if it was later in the series, you start Malcolm Brogdon for the sake of defending James Harden. It is not close how much better a defender he is on, like, on James Harden than anybody else in the Celtics. I know it sounds weird to say because, you know, they have Marcus Smart, they have Jalen Brown, they, <laughs> they have Derek White, they have Jason Tatum. Trust me, guys, Malcolm Brogdon is the single best James Harden defender. We've known this 
pretty much the entire regular season. I don't know why it wasn't the, the first adjustment that was made. I'm like a little bit confused by that. On the possessions that he was switched on to him, you kind of saw why, but there was one where, you know, Malcolm Brogdon is backpedaling, assuming that James is going to the rim and he just pulls back with a midi. And it's just really tough because he's so strong. And when you combine, when you combine strength, strength with having a good mid-range game, it just, it just adds a a new dynamic to pretty much every offensive player. I think it's the way that Kawhi has been able to be so steady and dominate you know, when he's been healthy because the three pointer just has too much variance, right? Like when you absolutely need a shot, you don't necessarily want to mm-hmm. go to that. I think like, you know, we've seen the worst end of that with the, with the hardened rockets, but just having this shot, it just, I don't know. It like it, it gives James Harden a go-to move that I actually trust in the postseason, you know? He was five for eight on long twos, six for 13 on non-corner threes. So he did he did dice up the Celtics um, from behind the three-point mm-hmm. line as well, especially on the go-ahead three that he made with, I don't even know how much time was on that, over Al Horford on a, a semi-controversial decision by the Celtics to just switch that, put Horford on him instead of sending two his way when you could have doubled, you could have forced a pass to someone like PJ Tucker, who didn't take a shot in this basketball game. Uh, just something to to note down in crunch time for the Celtics defense. But on that note, per Jer- Jared Dubin tweeted this during the game. So I don't know at what point uh-huh. in the game this was, but it was before the Horford shot. 16 direct picks where... Harden was running pick and roll against Horford. He generated 28 points. So, yeah. Is that even mathematically possible? If you're hitting like every possible three-pointer out there, (laughs) it is. Robert Williams only played 20 minutes, by the way. Yeah, this was not Rob Williams' game. We'll see what happens. I I, like, I'm, you know, James Harden played a great game. I, I think the the story beyond just how great everyone on the on the Sixers shot the basketball like as a team i think they were 50 44 100 was that was their shot splits mm-hmm. i believe yep. and paul reed hit four major free throws down the stretch to shout out to him um melton was just absolutely on fire in the first half and kept them in the ball game uh tobias harris Isolated a little too much for my taste, and I think Doc Rivers' taste probably, but he came through. He hit that straightaway three um, that when Horford was dropping, uh, Harden drove kickback mm-hmm. to Tobias, knocked it down, and Boston's coverage was just totally busted on that. That's not definitely not what was supposed to happen. Uh, I feel like the Celtics, we should be criticizing them a little bit more than we are just solely praising Harden. Harden played great and the Sixers made shots, but like the Celtics still should have won the game. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like down the stretch, especially one of their problems this entire season really has been how they slow down and get bogged down offensively in crunch time. And there were two plays that come to mind for me where Jalen Brown has an opportunity to attack and transition off a miss. That's his like sweet spot as a basketball player. If the paint is open and he's dribbling up the floor, he usually goes right to the basket and he dribbled out with, they were up four with three minutes to go. It just dribbles out, does not attack. They set up offense against a half court, a really good half court defense and can't get anything. Um, they went out of their way to hunt Maxi when he had five fouls, which makes sense, but it really like messed with their rhythm. Marcus Smart was kind of wild uh, with some of his decision-making down the stretch. He had finished with six turnovers, I believe. And honestly, like the quote-unquote biggest play of the game was probably, besides Harden's three, Malcolm Brogdon's turnover, where like nobody wanted to shoot the basketball. I didn't understand. You're up one. Jason Tatum has a wide open pull up three. There's 1.7 on the shot clock and he passes to Brogdon and Brogdon throws the ball at Matt behind him to t- I've like, I haven't seen this since Georgetown UNC seven years before I was born. Like, it's just like, how is this happening in the crunch time of a playoff game? One of the worst turn- turnovers you'll ever see. Uh, and yeah, I just feel like the Celtics uh, like barfed this one up. Should have won the basketball game, made a lot of dumb decisions. And I don't think that 
they should be super concerned. I think they're still the better team and should win the series, but it's just, it stings to lose a game like this. Yeah. Tatum left a number of three pointers on the table. I thought, I thought there were times I love that he was trying to get things going towards a rim, especially when you have Melton's Melton's a pretty good defender on him, but I also think that the best move when you have somebody like Melton on you is just shoot over him. Um, there were times that he isolated against Maxi, as you, as you, as you said, I think those were good, but overall it just felt like there were times when he passed up a wide open three point shot and he was four or five for the night. So it's like, you know, keep, keep shooting those. And, um, yeah, like for, as, as for Brown too, like it felt like in the second half, the Celtics just took their foot off the gas and the Sixers were playing mm-hmm. awful transition defense. That was the mm-hmm. whole basis of their first quarter run was not even necessarily that they were running off of stops. There weren't a lot of stops to be found in this game, but when there were, it was basically just a layup line for 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 the Celtics and transition defense has basically been the Sixers' biggest issue for the entire season. So yeah, I don't know why they didn't go to that well more. I really don't understand um, the final offensive play of the game. Um post-up set for Marcus Smart to make a decision on a night that he already had five turnovers and was having just a very strange Marcus Smart game. Like there there are excellent Marcus Smart games where he is just so totally locked in like his his intuitive understanding of basketball at a level and like slowing things down in a way that like people like lay people like you and I will never understand versus also mm-hmm. just total like bad disaster Marcus Smart. He was somewhere in the middle of those. Like he had one he had one play where he just passed the ball to Deb- Tobias Harris. Like he was trying to get it to mm-hmm. he was trying to yeah, he did. okay, you remember that play. I don't have to go through it. Um yeah, he had a couple really bad ones like that and it felt like yeah, he was just he was just trying to get too cute. Sometimes he tries to get too cute. So he's not the guy that on this particular night, I would have said, hey, like, let's have Marcus Smart make a decision. But at the same time, you also have Tatum and Brown who have had incredible nights just at your disposal. You've got a ton of time on the clock. Honestly, like give him the ball and let him cook. Like give it to them at the top of the key. Like see if, see if, uh, see if the Sixers double. Tatum's been making great decisions out of double teams. He had five assists tonight, only one turnover. So I don't know. It just feels like it feels like the Celtics obviously had more talent on the floor tonight. We'll see what happens when Joel Embiid comes back. The last time Joel Embiid played the Celtics, he had 52 points. So I don't know. Like healthy knees. Healthy though. knees. He had healthy, healthy knees. Healthy knees for sure. So yeah, yeah, Joel Embiid's health status is obviously the big question for this series. But just the fact that they have the fact that they stole a game too, I kind of wonder if you're if you're the Sixers, do you sit them out until game three right now? Do you kind of just expect that you're going to lose game two no matter what? Or do you think, okay, well, it probably depends on how Embiid's feeling, but do you think, okay, we beat them without Embiid. Now we just throw this seven foot MVP wrench into the equation and they're not going to have an answer for that. And maybe we can go up 2-0 you know, and, and go back home and just finish this thing off. But yeah, obviously that depends on Embiid's health, but what do you think? I think you're playing with house money if you're the Sixers. You know, if he can run up and down the court and defend outside the paint a little bit and come up, because they're going to attack him and pick and roll a lot, I would imagine, to test that mm-hmm. knee. But if he can come up and he's mobile and offensively, uh, he's forcing double teams and he's moving well in the short roll and he's getting to his spot around the elbow, knocking down jumpers. Sure, play him. Uh, if not, if he's anything less than that, I think that, yeah, you trot out the same recipe that you had in this game. Hope you can go up 2-0 uh, magically, shoot the the crap out of the ball again. And what's so, so amazing is that the Celtics, like, I don't think a team has ever lost in the history of the NBA playoffs shooting the ball as well as the Celtics did tonight either. It, it's which is just like just wild stuff. Um, so you tip your cap to the Sixers there, but yeah, like get him healthy, make sure no more damage can be done, um, and have him play in Game Three. I think that that's probably the wisest route because of them stealing game one. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting call and who knows how healthy he is. I'm sure he, it, it was really interesting to me that they didn't rule him out until they absolutely had to. He was doubtful and it was kind of up in the air. 
whether or not he would play in this game. So I could see him playing in game two. It would be really interesting. It would be an emotional lift for that team. Absolutely. I think game one was, was game one the biggest Sixers win that you can remember since Allen Iverson played for them? I can't think of a bigger Sixers win. I remember thinking some point in the third quarter of this game, when it still felt to me like the Sixers were eventually going to lose, that this reminded me of a lot of Sixers games where they win, but they leave you feeling uninspired and dull somehow. (laughs) And this game was the complete opposite of that. And it has been Mm -hmm. a long time. It has probably been like since Jimmy Butler has been on the Sixers that you could say anything remotely close to that about this team. Now, there's something funny about saying that a game one win in the first round is huge for a team that wants to be a title contender. But at the same time, I get what you're saying because of how this game felt, you know, because of the contributions that they got from guys outside of Harden, because of the fact that Harden ended up keeping it up. Like there were times in this game where I was like, oh, okay, he's starting to slow down a little bit now. Like he missed a couple of shots early in the fourth and this, and it looked like the Celtics were going to pull away. And then he just comes back and he's like, you know, he's on an absolute heater. Like he just continues it and he hits that huge shot over Al and man, like that's the game. And you're like, okay, wait, this actually, we played the tape till the end and it actually worked out. And the thing is like, it's so rare that you play the tape to the end with the Sixers and they win and you feel good about it. But I'm coming away from this one thinking both those things. Like I love what Tobias Harris brought. I think Ty Maxey, like, I just love that he kept going for it. You know, I didn't love all of his decisions. I think there were times where it's like, you know, that's that's a shot that you pull a little bit early, especially when the superstar is on a heater. He was feeling he himself. He was feeling himself. Yeah. But for a guy that can also like, when he when he misses some shots, for a guy that, that can actually often disappear, I way prefer that. And, you know, I love what Melton brought. I love just like... PJ Tucker, once again, like the rebounding. I love Doc's rotations. How often do you say that? You know, like that was, that was one of the biggest, <laughs> like, honestly, one of the biggest factors in the game, game I, I think was how Doc just like, he was masterful tonight. Like, honestly, early in the game, you get Niang, he drives and has this weird turnover and he only ends up going one for three for the night. So you realize early that it's not a Niang night. You put Paul Reed in there, B-Ball Paul, fucking shout out to B-Ball Paul. What a legend. Not only does he hit those free throws, but he's just awesome on the offensive glass. And I remember thinking like early, early in the game, um, I think there was, there was a Celtics offensive rebound that led to a Jalen Brown three. And I was like, oh, is this going to be a problem for the Sixers without Embiid? And it ends up actually being a problem for the, Cel- for, for the Celtics because Paul Reed gets four offensive rebounds and he's got Tucker helping him out down there too. And they're creating like just enough extra possessions. He ends up with 13 rebounds. He gives them just enough room protection. Um, it's just, yeah, it was, it was a great game from him. And I'm glad that he's the guy that got 37 minutes tonight too. And Jalen McDaniels, another guy was not having a good night. You would think you want him defensively in this series. He gets beat. Um, I think he got beat pretty bad by, by Brown, uh, backdoor, a lot of, a lot of bad backdoor cut beats from, from the Sixers tonight that I think the Celtics will continue to exploit. But yeah, I don't know. Like I look at this game and I'm just, I'm happy all around. I don't look, there's usually some larger structural structural or spiritual issue that comes to light when you're watching the Sixers and it just didn't tonight. So I don't know. I feel like Sixers fans should just, should just enjoy this moment. They just like, they've had so few moments to just enjoy throughout this entire, like 100%. No, I mean, their, their identity as an organization for, I don't even know, like a decade has been being kind of the favorite expected to win and then not. So to go on the road without the presumptive MVP and beat the team that has had their number since Embiid has been uh, in Philadelphia, just tremendous stuff in the second round. Uh, and again, like I don't, I still think that the Celtics, I still think the Celtics will win this series. Um, maybe comfortably, we'll see. But to your point, like Paul Reed, just like 
stepping up in that environment, also something I just did not see coming out of him. You have to just like shout out to him. I mean, the way he took advantage, like when the Celtics actually were aggressively loading up to stop Harden and Harden would hit uh, Paul Reed on a dive to the rim on a, with a pocket pass and he knew what to do with it and he finished or he drew a foul and then he went to the line and he made the shots. So he was great. Just knew where to be. Um, I really like how the Sixers are switching a lot. I like the pass to Tobias Harris. By yes, the way. yes, yes, yes. Uh, these plays just, are all seared into my brain. Yeah, it just, um, it's just that his bag keeps expanding. He had a couple of dribble moves against the Nets that you were like, whoa, <laughs> and now he had, the, he had the pass to Harris. You're like, okay. He's really putting the b-ball in b-ball, Paul. Yes, uh, an appropriate nickname. So, yeah, I think uh, this is a really interesting series all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And I, the more we talk about it, the sadder I get. So I don't know... You know, if you have anything else to say about it, do you feel like it's meaningful beyond the symbolism of Philadelphia, like winning a game no one expected them to or or not? Yeah, I think the guy who put 52 on the Celtics, like not even a month ago, is still on his way. So, yeah, I think this is probably a meaningful win. I think this with is, one knee. I, sure. Sierra, come yeah, on. I mean, they didn't even they didn't need any of the knees tonight. So <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, well, Very fair. Okay, before we before we get out of here, we've been alluding to adjustments. Is there anything that you think the Celtics can do that we didn't talk about? I I mean, I would like honestly like if Embiid does not play, I don't want Sam Hauser to play over Grant Williams. I don't think that makes sense at all. Um, it makes sense dramaturgically. You saw how a shit, dramaturgically, yes. It, it, like, I, I think that uh, the Celtics will live mostly with their game plan on both ends. They just need to tighten some things up with, you know, how they dropped. Maybe Horford could be a little higher on those. Even just like going under screens early on Maxi and Harden, just not thinking that those guys can hit pull up threes for some reason in the first quarter was just, uh, that's the type of stuff where it's just like, this is the playoffs yeah. guys. Like, and this is a team with NBA players on it and they can play basketball really well. So maybe execute the game plan. And this is the best three point shooting team in the league too. So it's like, if maybe it's yes, not going to exactly. be there, Great point. That is the only thing they they are going to do. Yeah. That's the recipe for them to win. Yes. <laughs> so tighten that mm-hmm. up and I think that Derek White will play a lot better. I think Jalen Brown will be a lot more aggressive. He only took 10 shots in this game, which is just like very abnormal. I thought Tatum played really well um overall. His aggression level was was high attacking the basket, getting to the free throw line. And he was making quick decisions. He was really good off the ball too. A lot of backdoor cuts for dunks. He had two early dunks in this game. So no, I don't think that like strategically there's anything huge that they have to switch up. It's, you know, it came down to this being kind of like a make or miss situation. Um, The Sixers made a lot of shots, a lot of tough shots. And the Celtics also made shots, but a lot of their key players, I feel like just, kind of crap the bed in this one in ways that they won't going forward. Do you have any thoughts on the general locker room culture slash possible malaise, or I wouldn't want to put it at the level of malaise, but just as a Celtics fan, obviously Jalen Brown has done like every interview that he possibly could uh, since the all-star break. Shout out to Logan Murdoch, by the way, the ringer who wrote Mm -hmm. the best profile on him. This, uh, this season, I thought. Obviously, doesn't seem that happy about the Kevin Durant trade rumors. Seems like maybe his uh-huh. best pal, Jason Tatum, was like, hey, Kevin, wouldn't it be like so cool if you were on the Celtics? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Just like, what are your what are your thoughts? But do you think that that like at this at this point where like they could be competing for a title that it still is something that matters? I mean, those things are really tough to speak on because I don't know the answer to it. <laughs> Um, I don't think that it's like that concerning, uh, to be honest. I think that he also said multiple times in that interview and since that his sole focus is on making a deep playoff run with this team and avenging last year's loss in the finals. And who knows? There's, we could 
I think it's lined up right now for us to get. I don't want to look too far ahead because that's just, I'd be the Milwaukee Bucks right now, but we could easily get a Golden State Warriors Boston Celtics rematch, and that would be awesome theater and awesome basketball. Um, shout out to Ben Cruz, who would be my mortal enemy for a little while. But yeah, no, I don't think that like chemistry is an issue. I mean, these guys have been together for so long, years and years and years, and they all seem to generally like each other. They have good on-court chemistry, off-court chemistry, that sort of thing. So I think it's fine. Oh, you successfully put me on tilt before our last podcast ended. So I had to, I had to try. Um, ben Cruz is actually always <laughs> my mortal enemy, but I will thank him. Fair. I will thank him today for helping produce a podcast. And thank you for Chris Sutton, as always, for being here. Thank you, Michael, for being here, despite how badly you didn't want to. I hope, I hope we made this only <laughs> like the appropriate amount of painful for you today. Appreciate you, Sarah. <laughs> All right, good night. We will talk to you guys next week. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.